0: I truly believe that's the potential in our impossible places if we can lean into it and take that first step trusting the faithfulness of god glory is at stake glory is at stake and so there is something thrilling it's not easy it's terrifying sometimes it's hard but glory is at stake and if we can be courageous enough to take that first step god's going to show off and it's going to be good You're listening to the Refraining Ministries podcast, providing help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through pain. Here's our host, Colleen Swindall Thompson.
1: Hi, my name is Colleen Swindall Thompson, and I would like to introduce to you our interview guest for this month, Michelle Kashat Welcome. Thanks, Colleen. I'm so glad to be here. Well, Michelle, you are quite a busy person with six children and your husband, the love of your life, Troy. Uh huh. You both are working on that, plus, have your (laughs) own businesses. Yes. You work with Mike Hyatt on the podcast, This Is Your Life, and Uh you've done a lot of reading, a lot of writing, reading probably as well. Reading. (laughs) Exactly. All of it. Have been MC with Women of Faith which the first time we spoke, I didn't even have a clue. <laughs> <laughs> just a tiny little thing. Yeah, just, well, a, little, yeah, yeah. just a little, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we're going to have a conversation today, and I'm so thankful for the audience that will be hearing or watching this. Because it literally was, I think, four years ago tomorrow that you received a phone call that mm-hmm. changed your life completely. Yes. I'd like you to talk to us about
0: that. All right. Well, it was the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, and uh, at the time— and this is part of the kind of long story, but at the time, uh, my husband and I had three boys, just three boys at the time, and they were, you know, 13, 17, and um, 18 at the time, and so uh, just was, you know, it's a Tuesday before Thanksgiving. It's my favorite holiday of the year, so it was just an ordinary day. I woke up and got everybody ready for school and made plans to head out to the grocery store because, of course, I had to go and get all the food for the big yes. feast I was going to be preparing and and then I planned to cook all day. It was just kind of one of those ordinary days, but also full of just the anticipation of the holiday, which I just love Thanksgiving. However, at eight thirty in the morning my phone rang and it was a, a doctor calling me. The week before I'd had a biopsy done, kind of on a kind of on a whim. I had had an ulcer in my mouth that had not healed for a long time. We're talking for a year or two. And so he, I had been going and they had been trying to figure out what was wrong with this ulcer. And so at the last moment, he's like, you know, we'll do a biopsy, but it's fine, Michelle. There's, it's nothing. I know it's nothing. So don't worry about it. It's fine. So I literally didn't worry about it because they said it was okay, it was no big deal, and it was fine. However, uh, Tuesday morning, he called at 8.30 in the morning to inform me that it was, in fact, cancer, squamous cell carcinoma of the tongue, and uh, he was completely shocked by those results, as was I. So uh, just kind of in the span of seconds, I went from anticipating Thanksgiving and being excited about having family and friends together to being absolutely, completely devastated and consumed with fear about the unknowns.
1: Well, one of the things that's interesting is in the time since then, you wrote a book, which is what we are yes. going to be talking about. And it's one of the best books that I've ever read, and I'm a reader, and I want everyone to give it. And it, oh, I'm you. serious. I love it. Thank you. But the topic is so apropos. It says the title, Undone, Making Peace with an Imperfect Life. And the description is, it would be nice if life always went according to plan. But sometimes dreams don't pan out, children don't behave, you say, and marriage <laughs> marriage isn't bliss. Falling in love with your life isn't found in what tomorrow may or may not hold or your ability to control all the variables. It happens while leaning into what is. It flows through forgiving the past and its disappointments. Yourself, the failures, and your relationships, their letdowns is refusing to be undone by an undone life, and believing sometimes the most colorful and courageous stories are written in the middle of a mess. And that moment became a mess.
0: It was a mess, literally. I mean, it went from everything was kind of in its place to literally, turned upside down, my whole life felt a mess, just that fast. There was no indication, no history of cancer in your family? Nothing, no history of cancer. This is often a cancer that smokers get. I've never used tobacco ever in my life. I had no risk factors. I was only 39 years old. I mean, I was young, healthy. Uh, there was really no reason for this, so no explanation. And you felt it so before, I- Oh, yeah, literally just, I mean, literally, I, it kind of, I I mean, I'm surprised, you know, and looking back, I, I used to always think of myself, I'm a firstborn type A personality, kind of a go getter. So I thought that I would deal with, you know, any kind of bad news kind of tough, you know, I can do this, I can totally do this. Cancer was a whole different scenario. And for some reason, it literally pulled the rug out from underneath my feet. I mean, I just fell to the floor. What did you do? after you got the news and you fell to the floor? (laughs) Well, uh, cried a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, just, it's amazing how um, fear and panic and terror can kind of, take a hold of you so quickly and bring about so much emotion, kind of truly like a flood, just a complete flood of emotion. And so my children had already left for school. My husband had to, he was on his way out the door. So I told him quickly and he gave me, I mean, obviously it was very, very loving, but he had to get, he had to leave for work. And so um, I found myself in an empty house dealing with this news, trying to absorb this. And at this point, you know, all we had was biopsy results. We didn't know prognosis. We didn't know extent. We didn't know anything else. So there were a ton of unknowns. And so I literally had to uh, somehow go through the day without having any ability to answer my questions, to get an answer, to figure out, you know, how this is all going to work out. And so for a type A control freak like me, <laughs> that did not work so well.
1: That was murder. <laughs>
0: I know. It's like if you could imagine the worst case scenario for somebody of my kind of personality, it would be a scenario with absolute no control and a bunch of unknowns. I mean, that's just like a disaster waiting to happen for yeah, me. Yeah, you were in the perfect storm. Well, I read yes. that you called a few people. No one
1: answered. You were kind of grabbing, grabbing, reaching, trying to find some. Yes, concern. exactly. And then you had someone call you totally out of the blue. What was that about? True.
0: So, yeah, so I, you know, we do what we do. Us girls, when we're in a panic, we start calling girlfriends, <laughs> right? To get support. Well, we do a lot we of need, things. <laughs> and so I start calling my closest friends, you know, that I could just talk to that would help, what I say, help talk me off the ledge because I was very much on the <laughs> ledge. So I need somebody to save me, but nobody was answering their phones, which was so odd for, you know, nine o'clock in the morning by now that, you know, nobody was answering their cell phone. So, so I'm like, seriously, God, I, I mean, seriously, I'm home. A alone. My husband's gone. My children are gone. I can't reach a friend. And I literally got on my knees in my closet and said, please don't make me walk through today alone, please. You just have to send somebody. And so I, I literally, st- I'm so literal with my prayers. I stopped praying and listened for the door, you know, like he's going to drop somebody at my friend's door right then that second. I'm not going to have to wait. Cause after all you said, you're not a good waiter.
1: I'm not a good waiter.
0: I asked for it. God's going to, you know, I'm just like, come on, let's do this. Can you hurry up a little? (laughs) Not not that I'm bossy with God or anything. I wouldn't imagine. (laughs) So, so I'm waiting for him to bring somebody to my front door and there's nothing, just nothing. I'm like, seriously, God, help me out here. And there's so much emotion, you know, going on with me. And so I finally realized that as I'm sitting in my closet praying that nobody's coming to my front door. So I go downstairs to try to just keep myself busy doing dishes. And about the time that I start, you know, doing things in the kitchen, my cell phone rings. And so I think, oh, it's one of my friends finally calling me back and it wasn't it was neither of the friends that i had called it was nobody that i even was close to it was a it was an old friend an old acquaintance that i had lost touch with over the couple years before and it was so odd that i was getting a phone call from her i could see her on the caller id so i picked up so the you phone you answered it yeah, so I answered it because I'm thinking, well, I'm so literal, you know, that I'm thinking, okay, I prayed for God to have somebody call and my phone's ringing. Maybe it's gone. This is not who I, <laughs> it's not who I really want to talk to, but the phone's ringing, so I got to pick it up. And so I answered it, and, uh, and it turns out she had actually meant to call another friend whose name started with an M like mine. She just accidentally hit my number. And so then I'm like, really, God, really, seriously, <laughs> I need somebody to call me. And you send somebody who actually did it accidentally. <laughs> How offensive. And so I'm just, you know, I, th- <laughs> I think we're just going to hang up and be done and it's over. And right before we hang up, because she says, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to call you. I meant to call somebody else. And I said, that's all right. Have a good day. And I go to hang up and she says, wait, before you hang up, can I pray for you? And I just, that stopped me in my tracks. I said, uh, absolutely, because that's what I needed more than anything in that moment. And for the next couple of minutes, she literally just prayed for me over the phone, the most beautiful prayer. Of course, she had no idea the news I had received that oh, morning. She literally her. just prayed. Oh, no, never told her. She had no idea. It was just a accidental phone call, right? Just random. She accidentally hit my name in her phone. She prayed that I would know the love of God and know that Jesus is with me no matter what and that I would feel his peace and his comfort and that that the presence of God would be full like full in me that day. And I'm sitting there listening to this just tears coming down my face cuz she has no idea. And we end up she says amen we say goodbye we hang up the phone and now, I don't hear God audibly speaking to me, <laughs> maybe some people do, but I don't hear him audibly, but I, let me tell you, I could not have heard him more clearly than in that moment, and very clearly, he just whispered to my soul, he said, if I would have had anybody else call you, Michelle, anybody else, you would have, you would have brushed it off as coincidence. I had her call you, so you know it was me. I'm with you. I'm with you, and I will not let you go. And that was that little moment that some people would call coincidence. I know for a fact it was not. was such tangible evidence of the fact that God was letting me know, this is not easy, but I am you, and I will walk with you every step of the way.
1: That's unbelievable. Because so often we, we do want to help God out. I Maybe mean, you do think, well, yeah. I, you know, I can give him a hand. And then when he doesn't take our hand, we think, well. And then all of a sudden— He shows up. I came across something called Letting Go by Richard Rohr, which I love his work. And he says in this, letting go of our cherished images of ourselves is really the way to heaven. Because when you fall down to the bottom, you fall on solid ground, the great foundation, the bedrock of God. It looks like Mm -hmm. an abyss, but it's actually Mm -hmm. a foundation. On that foundation, Mm -hmm. you have nothing to prove nothing to protect. Mm-hmm. I am who I am, who I am. Mm-hmm. And for some unbelievable reason, that's what God has chosen. And that's how he loves us.
0: That's it. Absolutely. You know, there's a beautiful scene in the Old Testament of Moses standing at the burning bush and God sending him to Egypt and Moses is standing there and his question to God is, who am I that you would send me? I mean, who am I that you would ask me to do this? Because the enormity of what God was asking him to do was more than Moses thought he could handle. I mean, it was huge. It was overwhelming, (laughs) right? And Moses is thinking, I just want to hang out here in Midian and, and do my safe little life. This is what you're asking me to do is massive. And so he asked God, who am I that you would send me? And God's response to Moses actually had nothing to do with Moses. He said, I am sending you, I am sending you, and I will be with you. And the fact that when God sends us into something that is so enormous and so massive and so overwhelming that it's beyond us, that really our only foundation, like you just said, is God's presence and God's purposing behind it. That's it. And we think we can help him out. I mean, we really do. And he he. Put us oh, yes. into the darkness of the
1: abyss. So, what happened after your first diagnosis? Did you go into surgery right away?
0: No. So, right after that first phone call, uh, then we had to just a series of doctor's appointments. So, I needed to meet with the surgeon that would do the surgery, and we needed to do a PET scan to try to see how far it had spread and see if, you know, it was more advanced than we thought. And then, after all of that happened, then we scheduled the surgery for December 10th. So, my very first surgery was December 10th. And, uh, and it was a, you know, it was a, it was a major surgery. I mean, I had part of my tongue cut out and it was very, very painful, but relatively minor considering what was to come. But for that moment, it was just, uh, it was major for us to walk through that and, um, and see how quickly life can totally change. And so that kind of marked our our holidays that year, our Christmas, everything else was really this whole new, we had this whole new character as part of our family, which was cancer. Yeah. And, uh, and I had to come to terms with the fact that because the fear and the worry and the panic continue to be an issue. And I have since learned that really fear and worry and panic was my means of control, my means of calling the shots. So called, right? And uh, how foolish that is because it really doesn't accomplish anything. But we think it kind of wields us some kind of measure of control if we can worry ourselves to death over and it. And why
1: do that? Because the Lord does tell us in James, why do you fret over tomorrow or talk about you're going to do this or that when you don't even know what's yes. going to happen this afternoon? Cancer exactly. is one way that he gets to us, he drives that verse home.
0: <laughs> exactly I, Very you could have way. picked an easier <laughs>
1: way but i i guess this is the <laughs> way you chose I, I was like really really
0: well, you know i I I don't believe at all that God caused the cancer that I'm dealing with right now, but boy, he is purposing in it and he has used it to really soften a lot of rough edges in my life. And one of those is my control freak ways. You know, my, my need to always be in charge and to be calling the shots and to control every aspect of my life, but the life of a of a true Jesus follower is, you know, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. And this is, it's a life of following in his steps. And that means we don't call the shots. We just just get to take the next step in front of us according to what he asks us to do. And
1: were there things that people... As you went through the process, now you're a two-time cancer survivor. So our audience doesn't know that, but I want to say that. And through the experiences of time, mm-hmm. what has been very supportive for you? What has helped you? And
0: what has not helped you? For me personally, uh, I, I what's supportive and helpful are the people that are positive and the people that um, are strong and encouraging and upbeat. What's hard is the people that... Well, I say, I, I said in the book that cancer works like a bug light. You know, once you get cancer, people like come from all different directions to give you their cures and their suggestions and their advice. And I just had somebody give me another link this morning for a sure cure for cancer. So I get this all the time, what kind of foods I should eat and what kind of water I should drink and all these kind of things. And so those kind of things, even though they're well-intentioned are not helpful. I mean, they just are not helpful because it can be... It can feel like uh, just a swarming, an overwhelming of suggestions and ideas. Plus, then cancer is still on center stage. And one of my goals is not to make cancer the center of my life. It's a character in my story, but it is not the central focus of my life. And so those kind of things were not helpful. Well, and
1: as if you're not already investigating every link under the sun and drinking all the right water and doing all the stuff. I mean, you're doing all that stuff. So thank you, Vinny. Thank you
0: to research all those things. So I'm kind of on it, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> But the people, that, the people that have a sense of humor that, you know, I love a sense of humor. I think it's one of God's greatest gifts. So those people that know how to laugh in the middle of this and that are positive and encouraging, you know, the people that Oh, gosh, we had all kinds of people that made meals for our family. I had friends that came and just sat with me. I couldn't talk very well, but they'd come and just sit at my house and keep me company. Just the presence of friends is so helpful. Uh, But honestly... You know, I need people that are making hope their anchor, not people that are devastated and panicked themselves. I had enough of that on my own. And so I really was careful to surround myself with people that uh, aren't perfect by any means, but that have this sense of resilience and positivity and, and, and truly hopeful that they do believe that God is strong and able and present. Right.
1: And whether he heals you or he doesn't heal you. Or it doesn't. Absolutely. It's not the center of your life. So come along and laugh with me, and let's let's be together. Yeah, let's enjoy this. But don't try to fix me because I'm already trying to do that, and it isn't working. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, we're already working. I'm to check it off the list.
1: Well, one of the things you talk about is a scuba story, and you and I have this in common. I didn't know this until I read your book, but I loved to scuba dive, and my dad and I were scuba diving. Really? Oh, I love it. I did yeah, that. not. Yeah, not that I get to do it very often in Texas. But we were in yeah, Hawaii, true. <laughs> and it was years ago, and we were, the guy brought us into an area that we could just dive, and it was gorgeous, and all of a sudden, we kind of drifted out a little bit, and it went black. I was like, oh my gosh, I knew Jaws was going to come up and get us right then and there <laughs> because I could see nothing. The fear of seeing <laughs> nothing is, is overwhelming.
0: It is. And it is. you have
1: a story as well. Tell me about that story because it refers to finding peace and learning to sleep in the boat when Christ calmed the storm. But the story is fantastic. Yeah, well, it wasn't
0: fantastic living no, it, but it is a good story. <laughs> but it makes for a good book. <laughs> <So, part. laughs> it does make for a good book. So, okay, so after the cancer diagnosis, about eight months after the cancer diagnosis, we received a second phone call uh, from a, a, a woman who could no longer care for her children, and it's it's a long story, and it's all in the book. So I'll just have to you'll have to check it out there. But um, but basically, this woman could not care for her twin four year olds and a five year old. So there's three children, and so the question was asked of my husband and I, will you take them? And, uh, through a, quite a little journey, we came to the place where we said, absolutely, we will take them in. And so we overnight became parents to three more children in addition to our other three. So now we're parents Michelle, of six you need
1: to change Which- the number or stop answering your phone. <laughs> <laughs> I, know,
0: I know exactly. I'm not, I'm not a fan of the phone, by the way, we don't have a home phone anymore. Cause I'm over it. <laughs> And so, all these things had happened, so we had cancer, we had all these surgeries. We had um, three kids that were added to our household in the span of eight months and uh, and these kids came from trauma, so we had a whole nother list of special needs and other issues on top of that that we were dealing with well i 'm still trying to recover from cancer and surgery and everything else. so you know all these different things going on, and in the middle of that, my husband noticed that I was just starting to burn out, unravel a little bit. I mean, we had had stress after stress, after stress. And so it was really, it's a lot. It is a lot. And so it was really taking a toll on me physically and emotionally. So he decided to plan a trip for just the two of us to get away for a week. And so my my parents flew in to watch the kids. So my husband and I could have just a little bit of a respite and just kind of recover from this series of traumatic events. And so we found ourselves in Mexico going scuba diving because we've been we've been certified scuba divers for over a decade. And so we've done this so many times. And so we went for a dive. It was, you know, one of the most relaxing things for us. But what happened is, is after we um, jumped off the boat and we got into the water and we went down to 80 feet, this was one of our favorite dives, one of our favorite locations. It's called the Santa Rosa, just, just off of Cozumel. And, uh, and so we got down to 80 feet and it looks like it's going to be the perfect dive. Ideal. And right about that moment, all of a sudden my heart starts beating frantically Uh, I start feeling like I can't breathe. And of course, we're under the water, so I have a regulator in my Uh -uh. mouth to to oxygen, and I cannot breathe. I feel like I'm suffocating. And my impulse is, you know, against logic, my impulse is to pull the regulator out of my mouth. But if I pull the oxygen out of my mouth, I'm going to (laughs) drown. You're going to breathe water, and we don't have guilt. And last time I checked, I'm not a fish. So (laughs) this is not going to work. But I am, I mean, my heart is just beating out of my chest. I am, I'm literally in a state of panic. So I start flipping around in the water, looking for my husband, trying to find our dive master, because I think I'm dying. What was it? Your airtight? What was it? Well, I didn't know. I just felt like I could not get oxygen in. And then all of a sudden, about the time that I think I'm, it's over, I'm done. And I remember thinking how ironic it was that I had conquered cancer only to die in the ocean. Only to drown uh, and you
1: know how to swim. I know.
0: <laughs> I know. I'm thinking, really? And just about the time I think I'm done, the dive master shows up right in front of me. I mean, he's just like right in front of me. And he looks at me and he can see that something's wrong. And so he checked my tank and he checked all the tubes and everything is working perfectly fine. I just couldn't breathe. And so he grabs my hand and he holds my hand and he he does this with his fingers to get me to look him in the eyes. And he has me look him square in the eyes, and he just rubs my hand for several minutes trying to get me to breathe. And he kind of shows motions to do inhale, exhale, get me to breathe. And eventually my heart calmed down, and I was able to breathe again. In short, what had happened is I had had a panic attack 80 feet under the ocean. Well, yes, I would say that would be a panic attack. (laughs) Yes, it would be. I had never had anything like that before, never experienced anything anything even remotely close, but what had happened later when I unpacked it with a therapist, everything else, what had happened is between cancer and the three kids and the special needs and everything else that had happened in eight months, my body was just done. I mean, my body was just shut down. And so that whole experience was quite a lesson for me, first of all, to understand our own humanness and fallibility. But what was so profound about that whole experience with the dive masters, God was really trying to help me see that um, this life is terrifying at times, and panic sometimes happens. But the only way to get through is to make eye contact with the dive master. you got to be looking in the dive master's eyes because he's the only one that can get you safely home.
1: Well, we have uh, several of my kids have panic attack issues, and we have anxiety issues. So I so understand that fear. That it, I mean, you feel encapsulated, and you think, I, I won't make it through this.
0: Yeah, it feels. I mean, you really do think you're dying. I mean, it just, and logic disappears. It's gone. <laughs> it's just like,
1: it's and, gone. And you
0: think, later, mm-hmm. why did I not breathe? What caused that? I know. But I mean, I look back on it and I think, what was I thinking? What's the big deal? And it's like, you just don't even feel in control of your own self. It's very bizarre. And what is also bizarre is that
1: m- most often when we have been stressed for a long time and we find mm-hmm. that place of rest, it were, it's like we, an avalanche hits us and mm-hmm. it sounds like that's yes. what happened. You finally, that's
0: precisely you what you were happens. able
1: to breathe, but then you weren't able to breathe at all. And the mm-hmm. dive master showing up is such a great illustration of yes. the Lord going, focus, look at me.
0: I'm mm-hmm. right here. Mm-hmm. It's Okay. It's very similar to when Peter walked on the water, where, you know, the moment he, the reason he started to drown is because he started to notice the waves yeah. and the storm and, and what was happening. And he lost eye contact with Jesus. And it's the same, I mean, it's the same thing. And God very much has said to me again and again through this whole process, but especially that moment in the ocean that, uh, you know, my eyes have got to be on him. You know, they have to be completely connected to him. There's going to be storms raging around me. There's going to be things happening around me. And it's going to be terrifying sometimes. But as long as I continue making eye contact with him and I'm focused on him, I can get through. We can get through this. But if I start getting consumed with all the details, all the things that are going wrong, the special needs, the... The, um, the rages with some of my children's struggles and the cancer and everything else, then I'm going to drown. I'm going to drown. But if I keep my eyes on him, I won't. Okay, how do you do that? Because you're
1: involved in so many things. And I'm thinking, how do you, how do you balance that out for people who have so many things going on?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it is hard. It is hard to balance it out because I'm just living real life in the midst of all these different things. You know, I'm even while dealing with cancer and special needs and everything else. We you know, I'm still making school lunches and taking kids to school and running errands and just all the normal stuff and not to mention a career. Um, But, you know, for me, I'm having to constantly check myself about every 90 days i'm having to stop look at my calendar and get rid of some things i've become very selective with how i spend my yes. time and very choosy about the relationships that i'm invested in and uh, i say no a lot more now than i ever have good. before because you do you have to so you set
1: good boundaries you reflect often you ask yourself how am i doing yes. in fact i mentioned this to you when we talked earlier mike hyatt and you did the podcast on checking your heart keep your mm-hmm. heart with all diligence from Proverbs 4, Mm -hmm. it was so convicting because when you actually be quiet and listen, some of those things start coming up that aren't so comfortable, don't they?
0: Oh, absolutely true.
1: So true. (laughs) Another thing I found is called ambushed by God. (laughs)
0: Ever felt like that before? Okay, sorry. I just love that. (laughs) I know. I mean, I had to read it because of the title. I don't have a quote, but it sounds so appropriate. I love it. Yeah,
1: I I thought this is for Michelle. I wonder if the only way that conversion, enlightenment, and transformation ever happen is by a kind of divine ambush. We have to be Mm -hmm. caught off guard. As long as you're in control, you're going to keep trying to steer the ship by your previous experiences of being in charge. Oh, I hate that. (laughs) I hate that. I resemble it. I I need it. (laughs) The only way you will let yourself be ambushed is by trusting the ambusher and learning to trust that the darkness of intimacy will lead to depth, safety, freedom, and love. God has to catch us by surprise because of our very limited pre-existing notions which keep us and our understanding of God very small. So God Mm -hmm. has to come indirectly, catching us off guard and out of control when we are empty instead of full of ourselves. That is why the saints of the past talk about suffering so much. Such as St. Teresa of Avila says in one place, it is not that you are happy for the suffering, it's that you are happy for the new level of intimacy that
0: the suffering has brought you. Amen. Absolutely. And that that right there pretty much sums up where I am today uh, after four years and all that's happened. I mean, that's really sums up where I am right now. It's not that you it's not that you're happy about the suffering. It's not that you're you know excited about the pain and the agony and all. it's not that at all. In fact, there's a very real sadness and grief in the middle of this. And I think it it's valid and deserves audience. You know, your grief deserves to be paid attention yeah, to. We have to, but yeah. at the same time, we have to, it's absolutely necessary. Plus, I truly believe God grieves when he looks at this world. This is not what he intended. He looks at cancer and grieves. And so when we grieve with it, we're grieving along with the heart of God. I mean, that's a necessary and worthy grief. Even so, even so, there's a sense of there's a sense of thrill and almost excitement about what he's going to do next. And it's hard to describe because it looks, when you talk about cancer, it looks so horrific. And as a whole, our culture is so terrified of cancer that they don't even know what to do with it. Okay. But when I, but when I sit there and, and know that I'm getting ready to go into another battle or journey or struggle or whatever, I have seen the faithfulness of God so clearly over the last four years that when I'm in this moment, getting ready to face it, I feel a sense of thrill because I know God's going to show up and he's going to show off and it's going to be good. It,
1: yes, <laughs> I agree with that. In fact, there have been some things that I thought I will never get past this in raising Jonathan, my mm-hmm. son who has disabilities. And you can understand this as a mother of kids that have yes. challenges. It's the challenges are not fun. The challenges are mm-hmm. awful. And the looks from other people are a- also awful. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Yes, exactly. And I can also be awful back. Anyway, uh-huh. it's not that we enjoy those moments, but it's what comes from me saying to the Lord, Lord, I don't, I don't know how to respond here. I don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. I, I need you to be a voice through me because -hmm. I'm sitting on your foundation
0: in the abyss in the dark. Come and Mm -hmm. help. And he does. He does. He does. You know, it's a classic, it's a classic Red Sea moment. The Israelites coming up to the Red Sea and, you know, they are escaping the Egyptians and yet they, they think they're almost to the promised land. And yet they butt up right against this Red Sea that looks completely impenetrable, right? So they have the Egyptians that are coming after them from the back and they've got the Red Sea in front and it's, it's like the perfect storm. It's the moment of panic right there, yeah. right? Cause it looks impossible. And it's those moments that we find ourselves in so often And so we can either, this is how I've kind of boiled it down just from my own experience. I can either in that moment, I have three choices. I can resist what's happening, which is what I typically do. That's what I do when I'm a control freak. I I resist it by trying to manage all the details and circumstances and control all the the issues. So I can resist it, uh, but that is just, it's a very painful place to be in. I mean, when you're resisting something, it's painful. It's hard because you're fighting this battle that's going on and you aren't sure what to do. And you start to question God because you aren't, you aren't trusting his faithfulness and his provision. You're taking it upon yourself. So you can resist or you can resign yourself to it, which is a certain measure of peace. Cause you're just like, well, I can't do anything about it. It is, it is what it is, whatever. We'll just, whatever. Um, And so there's a certain measure of peace when you resign yourself to your circumstances, but I don't think it's it's the best outcome. So the best outcome is when you are courageous enough to put that first foot into the red sea and move forward. Where you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what this is all about, but I trust that God's going to make a way. So I'm going to take the first step forward. And this is what I talk about in Undone about how you lean into your circumstances. So rather than resisting yourself to it or resisting it or resigning to lean into it. And what happens is when we take that first step in the Red Sea, you saw what God did. He, he parted the waters. I mean, he totally did something so incredibly glorious and miraculous that we've been talking about it for centuries and yeah. centuries since. And I truly believe that's the potential in our impossible places. If we can lean into it and take that first step, trusting the faithfulness of God, glory is at stake. Glory is at stake. And so there is something thrilling. It's not easy. It's terrifying sometimes. It's hard. But glory is at stake. And if we can be courageous enough to take that first step, God's going to show off, and it's going to be good. Now,
1: what do you say to the people who have taken that first step, and they've taken another, and it seems like God isn't showing up? Because sometimes, and I haven't said anything to our audience until now, but tomorrow Michelle is going in for an enormous surgery because the cancer has returned and a third time that just breaks my heart (laughs) i'm
0: so sorry i'm i'm not real happy about it either let's be honest this is not i'm not looking forward to it however what about those
1: times where you have taken a few steps did you did you feel that at all when you got this third diagnosis
0: well, again, I go back to there's definitely a very legitimate and true grief. So there's been plenty of grief in my family and in myself over the last couple of weeks of wrestling with this third diagnosis again and, and all that it entails and what's, what's going to be coming. So, I mean, there's tons of grief. I'm very sad about it. I don't think, again, I don't think this is something where um, God has caused this or that he's, you know, forcing cancer on me or anything like that. I think it's part of life, it's just part of life. It's part of the fault. When? It's part of the fall. We're not in the condition yes, that we were exactly. created part to part be. The fall. I mean, we live in this. We live in, I mean, you don't have to look too far to see suffering is everywhere. It's not unique to me. There's suffering everywhere. So uh, there's definitely some grief. So, what do I say to the person that feels like God's knowing, not showing up? Well, gosh, I have had moments like that. First of all, I would say I empathize mm-hmm. because I've been there. I've been there where I was so angry and uh, disappointed in what I perceived as God's lack of activity. That I truly started to wonder if he really could be trusted right. because I had given him my life and, and this is how you repay me. This is how you're going <laughs> to, this is how you're going to show up for me. Is this really, and- I said to my yeah. husband
1: one time, I think the Lord needs a new marketing manager.
0: <laughs> yeah, <I> know <laughs> exactly. That's it. It's like, really, I can help you come up with some better material because this is not working. <laughs> And so, yeah, I mean, we have moments like that. Of course we do. I think that's part of the journey. I, I have, for me personally, I've, I've had to stop and say, okay, God, I'm not seeing you here. So you're going to have to give me eyes to see, I, I'm not seeing you show up right mm-hmm. now. And what I'm seeing right now looks like you're not even involved. So mm-hmm. I, I just need you to help me to see what I'm missing here. Cause I'm not seeing it. And, and to this day, He's been faithful to do that. Now, that doesn't mean every day I feel giddy and happy and warm and fuzzy about it, but he has been consistently faithful to show me how he is delivering Um, what I like to call my daily manna, okay? Every single day, he delivers me a little bit of manna, a little bit of something to nourish my soul and show me that he can be trusted for the next year. He does enough today to carry me through the next year. He gives me enough today for just today. But what I'm seeing is, is the more that I watch for him and see him show up, and yes, I do write it down because I have a short memory, I write it down. The more I see him show up and be faithful, the more confidence I have that he's going to be faithful again tomorrow. But like any relationship that happens, um, the more that you have interactions together and the more you build that trust relationship over time. And unfortunately that usually only happens in pain and heartache. Right. Well, I love the quote that you did
1: uh, um, from CS Lewis where it says, of course it is different when the thing happens to oneself, not to others. And in reality, not in uh, imagination from a grief observed you can talk about death you can talk about cancer you can talk about special need kids you can talk about whatever suffering is forever until you go
0: into it it's an entirely different ball game
1: and that's why i want to tell people don't tell me how to do it Mm -hmm. unless you've been in it and i've asked for some help (laughs) so true if i haven't asked then let's just have nachos (laughs) and sit together (laughs) and read this a magazine I'm, and gosh, call it a day and do the next right thing. Yes. Well, um, Michelle, I know that we're short on time, but one thing I did want to touch on I loved at the end of the book, and again, I can't encourage you, the listener, how wonderful this book is. It's so perfectly titled Undone, Making Peace <laughs> with an Imperfect Life, because no one's life is perfect, but you talk about managing versus experiencing And what does that look like?
0: Well, so for me, managing managing my life was, uh, gosh in some ways it felt good, right? Cause I can be in control, but it doesn't take very long for that to prove itself a facade. I mean, cause as much as we think we're managing it, we really aren't in control and all it takes is something like cancer or a special needs child or some other unexpected circumstance for you to realize how little control you really have. So managing for me, was more frantic. It was more um, reactive. It was more driven by fear and panic and a need to try to get all the answers and work out all the details. But it, you know, it was kind of like a hamster on a wheel. I, I would just <laughs> frantically be moving all the time, but not going anywhere. Yes. It's exhausting. <laughs> okay. It's exhausting. And so I like fool myself into thinking that this is working, that I'm controlling things. And it doesn't take very long for me to realize that I'm, I'm just exhausted and tired and I haven't made any progress and the, my life is still a mess. So that's the managing. And what was the other word you said, the difference between managing and... Experiencing. And- Experiencing. Oh, experiencing is, oh, so experiencing takes far less work because I kind of picture myself when I'm experiencing my life as pulling up a lazy boy, grabbing my softest, fuzziest blanket, um, and just saying, okay, God, what do you have for me today? Yeah. And you just kind of sit back and you, yes, it's your life. And yes, it's not easy, but you just take it a day at a time and you just experience it as it comes without trying to control all the details. And, uh, and even though that's scary at times, cause we'd like to be in control, it's so much more peaceful and so less exhausting. Mm. And I end up, When you're in a place where you're kind of sitting back watching and experiencing your life, you pick up on details you miss when you're so frantically trying to control your life. That is so true. So you end up seeing things, beauty and gifts and blessing and ways God is showing up that you missed before because you were so busy trying to control everything. And that part makes it that's part of the thrilling, the kind of excitement that comes even in the middle of the pain and the heartache, uh, because you end up seeing the miraculous that you would before missed. Well
1: it's interesting that we were at a mall the other day and it was a mall that opened years and years ago in our area and I took my kids to it, the crazy mother that I was at that point. I took my kids <laughs> to the opening thinking, Oh, it's gonna be great. Well I think eight million people showed up on the same day and I was so, so angry that we now call it the Anchor Mall because I was trying to manage all all this stuff. And we laugh about it now. But at the time, it was like I was trying to make sure that everything was in place and the kids would have a good time and and Uh that they would enjoy this. And and all the while, we were getting angrier and angrier. And then finally, we got home. And I said, you know, anger, it can get a lot done on the front end. But it
0: destroys on the back end. Oh, abs- yeah, you're absolutely right. That's such a great illustration of it because um, anger actually sucks the enjoyment out of the experience. And that frantic, um, desperate, angry, trying to, con- like, you have such high expectations, and you're trying to make everything fall into place. Uh, it can be very productive on, like, initially, but it sucks the life out of the very thing that you wanted to preserve. And it doesn't develop any skills.
1: It doesn't, exactly. it doesn't help cultivate a resiliency in life that you just mentioned. I want people around me that are resilient, mm-hmm. that are confident, yes. that it can help me, rem- remind me that cancer is not the center of my life. It is part of my life. Mm -hmm. But God is the center of my life and he has allowed this for a purpose that I cannot know right now.
0: You know, and the, yeah, I don't know. I don't know all the purposes, but I can tell you, there are things that have happened even in the last two weeks that blow my mind. Okay. Do tell a few, because
1: I want, I want (laughs) you to speak from a place going into surgery tomorrow. Speak to what has happened that brings hope that has
0: brought hope to you. Oh, goodness. Um. Well, this is one of the most... This, is, this happened the week of the diagnosis. So, uh, so I had a biopsy done on a Wednesday. Uh, and then you always have to wait several days for results. So the biopsy happened on Wednesday, which was hard enough and painful enough. Mm. Then on Thursday... Out of the blue, I got an email from a woman that I met one time at a conference several months ago. So I was speaking at a conference. I met her one time. We had one conversation over a meal. That was it. Hadn't kept in touch. I don't know really much about her at all. It was just that one kind of chance happening. Well, she emailed me out of the blue on the Thursday after the biopsy and informed me that um, ever since we had met during the summer, that God had just laid it on her heart to pray for me. So she'd been praying for me very faithfully for the last several months. And then she went on to say that she thought that she was praying for me because of my dad's illness and my dad was in August and passed away in August. And so she said, she thought that God was having her pray for me because of everything that I went through with my dad. And then she said, until Tuesday night, which would have been the night before the biopsy. And she said, on Tuesday night, God had me on my knees praying for you like crazy. And I needed to let you know that while I was praying for you, um, God just gave me a picture in my head that you're in a metaphorical storm and his hand is reaching from heaven to hold on to you. And you need to know that the battle is his, it's not yours and he will not let you go well she had no idea that i'd had a biopsy the day before and uh, she had no idea obviously when she prayed tuesday night that i was going to get a biopsy on wednesday because i didn't even know i was going to get one and so she emailed me on thursday just to let me know that this is what god had been moving in her heart to do for me just randomly and she says i have no idea what's going on in your life but i just felt like i was supposed to tell you that's one example the very next day, I found out that the cancer was back, but I already had a sense of peace about it because I knew that God was working behind the scenes. Uh, I can tell you, I mean, there are story after story after story like that where you know, something will arrive on my doorstep at just the right time of people sending me a verse that was the verse that God had spoken to me that same day. Uh, There are even timing things with um, the podcast I I did with Michael. We just recorded last week. Well, we were were supposed to record that in December. We changed the dates of that at the last minute. If we hadn't had moved those dates, uh, we would not have been recording because I would have been unable to speak. So like timing of different things have fallen so perfectly into place as if there's someone that's orchestrating things behind the scenes. Who doesn't need our help. (laughs) <laughs> yes, who clearly doesn't need me to be in charge of all the details. I mean, I can I could give you a dozen different ways that that has happened over the last two weeks alone, uh, which gives me a sense of it. Although I'm not looking forward to what's happening, it is so clear to me that God is in charge of my life and that He is weaving things together into some kind of perfect perfect story and perfect plan that I really can sit in my recliner with my fuzzy blanket and say, okay, I'm going to experience this life you've given me. I, you're in charge. You've got it covered. Well, just
1: this morning, I was listening to a TED talk. I'm a TED freak. And so I was listening to a TED talk and it was on silence. And there was a guy who spoke about, well, he talks now, but he took 17 years and did not oh. talk.
0: And I thought, okay, you're a little weird. But <laughs> But actually, I think I know who you're talking about, and I've heard him speak. I heard him speak live, and it's really very profound. I Actually, after I heard him speak, I thought, you know what? Maybe during my season of silence, I need to enjoy that. <laughs> but you know what he said? Because when he started to talk again,
1: um, the guy, I'm sure that you know this too, then, said, was your voice different? And he said, you know, it was. I had a different mm-hmm. voice than I did 17 years earlier. And I can only imagine when you said, "I, I want to pray that the eyes of my soul are opened." Lord, help me see yes. you, like Paul prays. I think it's to the Ephesians, that we can see you in a new way. That we see those minute mm-hmm. things. That we see your hand in that email or that verse or that phone call. That's profound.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so now you go into this tomorrow, and when this airs, of course you will be in recovery, and you're. State of silence, so to speak. Yes. <laughs> and I have to say, I'm anticipating what will come from that, and together we can pray. Yes, yes, which I think is remarkable. What are a few things that you'd like to say, Michelle, before we close? About maybe someone's in the middle of it. Maybe someone's listening to this who's in a chemo treatment right now, um, mm-hmm. who's their hair's falling out. They're you know who knows what the condition is, but
0: they're in suffering. Yes. Yes. What do you say? Oh, what do I say first of all i'm sorry I, I mean to to those of you that are truly suffering right now gosh i I do feel your pain I understand I have been there am there, so I'm totally I get it and there I do not want to in any way shape or form minimize the amount of suffering because when you're suffering it's it's awful and it's painful and it's real and um, and it is worthy of grief and sadness and loss and so I just want to say I'm sorry to begin. But the second piece is, and this is what I'm telling myself as much as I'm telling anybody who's watching, listening right now, is that um, uh, there's very little we can do about some of our circumstances. It's not in our control. Um, but for me personally, I want to be, I want to I run my race well mm-hmm. to the end. Mm-hmm. And I know I get to choose how I respond to what's happening. And uh, there were many years where I chose to respond by letting fear control everything about my life. And I refuse to let that happen anymore. By the grace of God, I refuse. And so for the person that's there suffering, Just if you can't believe right now that God is with you and faithful and present, I believe enough for the both of us. And I promise you, he is with you and he sees you and he loves you and he will not let you go. And as I am in my time of silence, I will be praying for so many of you that you would experience the fullness and richness and joy of God, even in the middle of pain, because I've seen him do it with me and I know he can do it for you. Absolutely. Amen.
1: I believe that. Amen. That is so great um during this time michelle i know that of course in our show notes we're going to put in our your information and how to get a hold of you and all of that and so people can still contact those who we direct them Mm -hmm. to is that right
0: correct okay and in the meantime they need to get your book it's by zondervan (laughs) yes i would like that i think it's wonderful It's not just about the book, and it's certainly not just about my story. I mean, really, if that's all that people got from that, that would be such a waste. I mean, the story is the reality of God showing up exactly where and when we need Him. It's Romans 8. Um, So what shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither the present nor future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord mm-hmm. that's the point that's the heart that's of this. the point
1: is that he loves us and he's allowing us yes. because he loves us to transform our lives mm-hmm. even though it doesn't feel like transformation it feels like we're being no it doesn't feel like, <laughs> like we're being pushed punched by the potato masher exactly well, but his love is
0: so much bigger it really is
1: Michelle, thank you. I know you're off to an appointment and I want to thank you so much for encouraging all of us to remember in our suffering that God is with us, holding us, carrying us through the storm. For you who have listened, we'd love to hear from you. You are going through a season of suffering or if you have been through one, I would love to hear your story. I would love to hear what brought you through. And I'm sure that Michelle would love to hear from you as well. And I want to thank you so much for this time. Thank
0: you. It's my honor and privilege. Love you much.